Hey everyone, Stefan Angelini from Investor Types here. Thanks again for listening to us. We're interviewing Sean Sewell about investing into private businesses. Now, this is a business owner who has a lot of experience in running businesses and now runs a consulting service and invests into private businesses. This is the smaller businesses where you might see friends, family that are starting to run a successful business and who need some capital to grow. We talk about some of the pitfalls, whether we, whether it's an income strategy or a growth strategy. If you're thinking about this type of investment, you really need to consult the right people and ensure it's the right strategy for yourself. There is a lot of work that goes into it. Now, I just wanted to remind you one thing before we do get into it. It's an exciting episode, but it is considered general information only. This is not personal advice or financial advice. If you have any questions, reach out to your own financial planner as to whether it applies to yourself. Other than that, enjoy the show. Let's get into it. Hey, 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 everyone. Stefan Angelini here. Thanks again for tuning into another episode of the Investor Types. Uh, the episode today that we're, what we're talking about is essentially investing into private businesses or smaller businesses. Um, when you when you buy into a business, what do you try to do? What do you try to look for? And who do you actually invest with? And we're here today. We're sitting down with Sean Sewell. Sean, thanks so much for joining me, mate. Great to be here, Stefan. Um, really looking forward to this conversation because the things that you've done both in your past, starting off at 13 years old, washing cars, which is a which is great in itself, entrepreneur from a young age. Um, you now you now run your own business or you run a few businesses in the past, but you also invest into a lot of businesses and into private businesses. Now, when you invest into businesses, where you take it a bit different is um, you more invest into the people. Why do you think investing into the person who runs a business is more important than investing into the numbers or the vision of the business? I think what it comes down to is the fact that, and, and coming from a background in investing now for probably nearly 18 years, uh, investing in mm-hmm. other businesses now, um, is the one thing that I always look for is good people you know, or great people. The great people yeah. are the, the diamond in the rough, right? They're the, they're the thing that it's very, very hard to find um, because there's plenty of people out there that talk the talk, but they don't actually walk the walk. They, they, they're full of lip service. Yeah, we're going to have a, a hockey stick curve like this and in the first three months, we're going to dominate 50% of the market and all this, some of the stuff I've seen in the, um, the pitch decks and stuff that have come across my desk over the years. Oh, my goodness. Um, but... It, it really is about the people. It's about what are they like? Do they have that, that, that underlying level of determination and grit and, uh, you know, the, 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 do they have some history to have a background of stuffing something up and what do they learn from that? You know, if, if someone's it's their first hurrah and their first go at any sort of business, I'm always a bit wary. I'd rather have someone who's done something and failed. So I actually spend a lot of time talking about what they took away and how it's changed them and why yeah. they think that this time it'll be successful versus last time. You only really learn uh, about your true character once you get punched in the face a few times. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Can so, you get back up? all like, you know, uh, what is it, um, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and uh-huh. all, all talking about the blue sky and using their crystal ball to tell me how good it's going to be and all sort of stuff. And, and it, it, it's, it, it's just, it is, it's just talk. And, and I, I've literally had probably 500 deals come across my desk you know, in that period of time, you know, over 15, 17 years, wherever it's been. And I've invested in, I think, about 14 of them, right? So um, that's it. The rest of them, it was varying degrees of why not. So a yeah. couple of them was a timing thing from, from being able to get the capital into it in time was a couple of them. So, yep. But I'd say probably say 20 to 25 would have been worth investing in out of, you know, over 500 that came across my desk. So you're talking about half a percent. 
of of the deals um which is fair enough because these things they, they are quite risky in nature because a lot of businesses can fall over especially if you don't have the right person at the forefront you know every business owner they can have a vision and if you don't have a vision for your business or know where you want to take it well then what sort of what are you striving towards absolutely and there's one business example I, i've got equity in a, a company in sydney um and i won't go into the details in case you know, i think it probably narrows down what it is <laughs> say what it is but <laughs> yeah. um uh, the th- uh, two, it was two business partners um, merging together. I came in and took an equity stake to, to basically sit on the advisory board. The company grew quite rapidly uh, uh, with, with the guidance and with one of the two owners being the real driver, being a real you know, mm-hmm. incredible individual. He was the one that I was uh, backing. He was the one that I came in and, and invested my time and energy in, not the other partner. Right? Mm-hmm. And then a couple of years later, two years later, we merged another guy in who was in the same industry to, to roll them together to create dominance in that market, uh, which it did. Um, fast forward a couple of years beyond that, and the guy that I backed uh, had to make a decision to move to Hawaii for his family, right? Because his wife's Hawaiian and they're having a child, and there was some some, some some family stuff going on. So he had to make the hard decision to actually exit. Uh, not as an equity holder, as a, but but ex- exit managing the business day to day, and we passed that that leadership and that management on to one of the other two uh, remaining partners, and I still provided the guidance and the support and everything like that. And in the last three months, that's basically turned to. Sh- um, ah. uh, what we've found out since then is we were being told myself and my other business partner in in, uh, in Hawaii were being told things that weren't true. Uh, they were sending us uh, in you know, cut cut my other partner off from not being able to see their bank account quite a few months ago. Basically, they screwed that business up. It was an incredibly profitable business, doing really really well. They'd listened to nothing. Uh, the two of them colluded in small business thinking, small business mindset stuff. And so we'd have a conversation and we'd talk to them about it. And ultimately, that that business is is I would say it's struggling now, particularly now being hit by the the uh, the pandemic stuff, the consequences yep. of that. Um, that's actually been hit by that, and so it's it's going to struggle. It's really going to struggle. I still have my equity holdings in it, but as I went back to those remaining partners, and I said to them, I said I'm not I'm not investing another second of my time in this because for the last couple of years or 18 months since the other guy went to Hawaii, mm-hmm. um, that that you know you just simply haven't done what you needed to do and so yep. i'm not going to invest any more time in that i'm going to cut my losses from that business um if they sell it at some point i'll get my equity back out uh, at some point if it doesn't go broke um and uh, i'll you know i'll use it as a learning experience but the interesting thing is i, do, I now actually have equity for the other guy in hawaii and his new company in hawaii so business <laughs> deductible you holidays follow, uh, yeah, when we can fly again but uh, yeah you never know so you're still following the person you still believe in him and everything oh, absolutely, absolutely. Will, will absolutely. Turn to gold. what he's created in the first 12 months of him being a business over there mm-hmm. or than these other guys did in, you know, the last two and a half years that when he wasn't as heavily involved, you know, and yeah, just okay. in the first year. And, and it's, it's the person, it's the individual, you know, it, that's, that's the most important thing because, and sometimes they might trip and fall. So what may happen is that I don't get the return on that original investment, but I believe so strongly in this individual that fast forward 10 years, He'll probably have a business 10 times the size that the other one ever was going to be mm-hmm. because he's doing it on his own terms. He doesn't have handbrakes like the other business partners slowing him yep. down now. You know, he's, and he's, he's out there doing it on his terms and he's a very different version of himself than he was, you know, six, seven years ago when I got involved. So yeah. um, just, just incredible. And, and, you know, obviously building a, an actual relationship, a personal friendship with, with, uh, with the people that I, um, that I invest in. I, I actually want to be able to sit down and have a meal or a beer with them and not necessarily talk shop. You know, yep. for me, and to me, it's the relationship is vitally important to then be able to be honest 
to have them hear you when you're talking to them mm-hmm. you know, and hear what you're intending to say and not having their ego come up and things like that. So important. I actually went through a similar situation to you where back in 2012, started creating a tech business um, that got quite big in 2016. And then we had a fall, fall apart between the shareholders where one went rogue like these guys and um, started issuing shares to themselves and, you know, things just started to go wrong. After that, you know, it sort of, it's, it sort of forces you to reevaluate what you want and who you want to do business with. Absolutely. Subsequently, I'm still doing business with some of the partners that I was involved there with. Yep. Um, and we've gone great guns and we've, we've gone flying, which is good. But um, what, I guess what you try to take out of it is with these businesses and with these business investments, um, you don't expect to get ongoing revenue streams from these things. You know, you invest in these things for the long term, Absolutely. these kinds of businesses. And as you said, when they might sell the business, you might get your equity back. Yeah. Don't expect well, I mean, any some, of, some of those businesses, um, uh, some of the businesses I've invested in pay dividends. So they do pay okay. dividend based on their equity holding. Some businesses I've gone into to be on the advisory board for exchange of, of, of equity uh, with no you know, monetary value exchange. And mm-hmm. I'll do that for a period of time before I then expect if they still want me involved and they haven't got to a certain point that there would need to be some sort of consulting uh, fee component of that to compensate for, for the additional time. Yep. Um, but some of them also, yeah, pay dividends uh, as they get profitable. A lot of them reinvest the profit back in because I am backing the person for the long play and yeah. backing them to, to get their ultimate goal and their ultimate outcome. Yeah, and, in, and in these fast-growing businesses, it's, you start looking at what's more important. Is it more important to pay you a dividend or is it more important to take the profits that we make, reinvest them back into the business to make it bigger again? Absolutely. And, and, and 90% of the time, it'll be reinvestment uh, as long as it's done strategically. Because um, uh, sometimes there'll be a, a partner that, that could benefit from some dividends, which means that everyone obviously gets paid a dividend. Then uh, that could impact the, the growth of the business. But also when you get a certain level of maturity, and certain level of profit, sometimes you can't always reinvest that. And if you do, it's about people then putting it back in if they really, really need to. Um, uh, but I've never had that situation happen. It's always been you know, that deliberate uh, measured growth, not too rapid so that it chews through all the cash that you got in the bank and you need to keep borrowing it and then keep running out of fuel. <laughs> very deliberate staged growth and, and, and solidifying the foundational pieces of that business mm-hmm. as, it gets, as it builds another floor on top, like a building, strengthen the foundation so it doesn't start shaking, you know, and things like that. So, Yeah, beautiful. So when you invest into these kinds of businesses, um, how important do you see it as these businesses should have an exit strategy? Well, the exit strategy is, is vitally important. I mean, if someone's like, say someone's 25 and they came to me, look, I've, you know, I've done this, I've made some mistakes, but I've got this new business and that's growing really rapidly and mm-hmm. what I need is I need to become a, a, a more mature leader, a better business person, I need your support. And I'd be like, okay, great. So, um, if I'm going to get involved, and whether either it doesn't matter if it's a, a, a exchange of uh, time or value for equity or a capital investment or both, it, it's neither here nor there. It's the same thing. Is I want to see an exit in the next five-ish years. I want to know that this is a five-year ride. I'm jumping on board for. Let's yep. get done and let's get out and uh, on, on the other side. And sometimes because when they get to that point, they're actually paying dividends. It's like okay, well, I'm not going to get out. Uh, there's no point selling the business because it's like a golden goose now. It's laying golden yeah. <laughs> I'm getting some small golden eggs every month and I'm, I'm okay with that. And it's, it's like, I just leave it, leave it running and make sure that we, we still have our advisory board meetings and, and, and things like that as well to make sure that everything's staying on track. So in terms of exit strategies, there's a few different ones out there. So one might be trying to identify in the future what sort of bigger businesses might want to buy your company. Absolutely. What are some of the exit strategies that you've come across? So one of the companies I'm involved in is a company called Patrick's. Um, 
and uh, my good mate Patrick and his wife Amy, our kid, mm-hmm. uh, they, they started that business. They were the prime example of people that I invested in. Um, I, I'd met them going through a corporate finance course you know, about uh, nine, eight or nine years ago now. Uh, and um, they had a, a men's uh, barber shop in Bondi in Sydney and had a motorbike in the front and, and they basically had uh, blonde, uh, blonde backpacker, back, uh, 19-year-old backpackers cutting your hair. You get a beer or 60 bucks a haircut. Um, that's not what I invested in that. What <laughs> they had was they had the concept of, of an ultra-premium product. It is the product I'm using in my hair, um, which is called Patrick's. Uh, And um, basically there was a gap in the market. There was no ultra premium um, uh, hair products for for men, basically. And it's one of the fastest growing uh, beauty markets, as they call it, um, in the world and globally. And what I liked about Patrick and Amy, I remember sitting down at them at the Max Brenner Cafe in Bondo there and they showed me the financials and it was the crunch time of me saying whether I was going to invest or not as the seed investor. And um, and I looked at numbers and I, and I, and I went, you know, shh, and gave them back and said, those numbers are blue sky and they're just rubbish. <laughs> and they were a bit like, oh, and I put a bit of a deliberate pause in there and I said, but the reason I am going to invest is because I believe you guys can make something incredible out of this opportunity. Mm-hmm. Because what they'd done is they'd actually done the research. They'd, he's, he was a, I could tell he was a hustler. He was one of those people that could just meet anyone and befriend them in like a minute and a half and they felt like they've known him for the last 10 years. Um, so he's really great at relationships. She, she was a, a, a former lawyer who's, who's, who's the CEO of that business and, yeah. and, and really structured and stuff, whereas he's like the Tasmanian devil. <laughs> all this stuff comes out. She has to catch it and, you know, and, and put, bottle it and all the rest of it. And, uh, and, and basically they, um, what they looked at was they, they looked at all of the public you know, records for Unilever, L'Oreal, Procter & Gamble and similar companies like that and had a look at what are they actually looking to buy. And so the, they, the, the projection, the goal that they created was to build, if they're looking for a banana, well, they're building a banana so that Unilever or whatever these guys say, we're looking to buy bananas. Yeah. There's no point making an orange and trying to sell that's it to these guys. They want a banana. And that's basically what they've done. And, and I know that they knocked back a, a multiple, you know, eight-figure sum uh, last year uh, for someone to buy the business out as they came and spoke at one of my uh, Inner Circle Mastermind events that I have. And, and someone said, well, and he said, oh, well, we could, we could, you know, live off, you know, have uh, cash out, you know, multiple eight figures um, mm. and sit back and relax. And someone goes, well, why don't you do that? And he goes, because I'm not finished. Uh. That's, why <laughs> That's why I backed him. Yep. He's in it for the, for the journey. He's in it yeah. for the hustle. He's in it for the, the experience. He's not in it for the money. The money will be a byproduct. And he, the goal is to get, you know, a, a, a nine-figure sale. Um, and uh, it's well and truly on the path for that. You know, it just keeps getting stronger and stronger every year. And, um, and that was, a, I guess, an, a, a, that thing about the exit strategy was it's already very clear. And some of those companies have already approached Patrick and, and spoken to them, uh, he and Amy, about, you know, kind of sniffing around the edges. It looks like you guys are creating a banana, you know, but they're not ready to sell yet and they're obviously not ready to buy it yet. But once you take a product like that and plug it into distribution, like someone like L'Oreal or Unilever or Procter & Gamble, that value of that company is just going through the roof. You know? So yeah. it's a big opportunity for everyone. And that's, that exit strategy thing is, is, is part of it. I suppose other ones, simpler ones, are that as an investor or someone that the owners could buy me out or buy you out as an investor. Mm. Um, or they could bring in another party who takes your place and buys you out as well. So there's a, or just sell it you know, on, the open, on the open market to, to 
you know, uh, another business or another another potential owners. Yeah, and you've had businesses in the past. You've you've had a few businesses in the past. I mean, starting from washing cars at thirteen. Uh, yes, yes. So when I was four foot two, driving <laughs> cars in and out my parents' driveway and parking them in the park across the road. The council would have a field day now. You know, when I was thirteen, you know, I was I, I, I came up with that idea when I was, I was still twelve. Actually, I started it when I was thirteen. I washed cars till I was. Uh, about 16, I, I ended up going mobile on my bike with a bucket and backpack and stuff in it because it wasn't consistent enough. With, holding a water um, pistol? Uh, no, I used their hose. I had a hose, okay. a hose around my... So I, had a, I had a hose around here, but then everyone had a hose, so I didn't need to keep doing that. But, but I, I literally bought a dust buster and all sorts of stuff. And so I had the same clients every two to four weeks. I'd be washing their cars. But at 16, and when you've washed that person's car 27 times, it's literally like pulling your fingernails out with a pair of ah, so repetitious and boring. Yeah. So I just, I gave it to a friend of mine and said, here, you can take over my, my car washing. And I was, I was making $200 plus when I was 13. You know, that's like 32 years ago. Um, yep. Cash in the hand, uh, every, most weeks on average. And, uh, you know, it was, it was interesting. But then we've gone through, I had uh, I used to uh, do up old Porsches and make them look like newer models back in the in the late uh, late 90s is when we did that. Um, I then had uh, a business with my dad and my brother in light aeroplanes. Um, you know, I've had uh, then I built my what I nickname affectionately my 44 person adult daycare centre. Except I had to pay them to be there. Um, I wasn't very good at the old uh, leadership or, or hiring thing. It was like, uh, Stefan, you're breathing. There's an empty chair you're hired, sit there and look busy or something. I don't know. That was kind of my employment style. But, but in getting through that, that journey, it was like, it, it taught me a lot because we had a very broad range of businesses. We had finance, and this was property, in legal. Finance, yeah. yeah. Started in finance. Yeah. Uh, went into uh, property as well, investment properties. Then we bought a legal practice, mm-hmm. property practice, and we turned it into a state and business succession planning. Yeah. Uh, we then had financial planning practices. We had insurance, general insurance, life insurance businesses, um, we have a, we still do have a, a legal uh, will kit, uh, legal wills and documents, uh, physical ones that have 4,000 sockets around Australia. We have an online legal doc site still. Uh, so we've still got some of those businesses, but we ultimately I decided to, to pull out of that and scale back from that because it was a monster that was trying to kill me and my business partners. So, mm. so you, stopped, you stopped essentially working on the business at all and just had to work in managing the people. When you get to a certain size, you, you, you are babysitting. Well, well, yeah, I mean, I, the thing is I didn't have the skill set to lead. I was managing. Yeah, I was managing yeah, like yeah. a dictator with a whip. And, <laughs> and if anyone wanted to make a decision, it had to come through me. So I was, yeah. I was, a, I was a full-on dictator and I was a control freak. That's what I was. Yeah. I'm, so I'm, how important I'm, is self-awareness when it comes to running freak. a business? What was that? Self-awareness. So you obviously figured oh. out that that is not the position you want to be Absolutely. in and it and doesn't serve like, anyone any good. I was doing 80-plus hours every week for, for about seven years, like, consistently yeah. like every single week just about and it nearly killed me i was 20 kilos heavier than i am now mm-hmm. like clinical depression mm-hmm. like it was just i just was so had my head so far up the backside of the business i couldn't see the light of day and and it was the gfc was a great actual um, blessing for us because it took our kneecaps out because 80 percent of our business came from financial planners and because yep. after the gfc financial planners were the devil you know so <laughs> stop seeing them and yep. therefore our client base dried up which was a blessing in disguise because it allowed us to really assess it and i came to my business partners and i'd started these businesses and i said guys one or two things is going to happen after this meeting i'm going to go in my office i'm going to pack up my stuff up and leave which is the last thing i ever thought i'd say or we're going to mm-hmm. break this monster up and so we did we broke up the financial planning 
that went back to the Canberra guys who owned it. Um, we kept the, the property, the, the legal practice, uh, the finance business and the will kits, uh, the legal document business. Uh, and we kept that my one business partner that I've got in that entity. Now, for the last nine years, those, those businesses have been running under management. So I have, I'd probably spend at most 20 minutes in a week at most on those businesses. Um, I've got an incredible team that have been with between uh, 12 and 16 years. Uh, my team members there, uh, they were obviously the ones doing all the work when I had my 44 person adult daycare center. I don't know what the other, I don't know what the, <laughs> I don't know what the other, you know, 34 people were doing, probably not much. Um, but they, these, they, my team are just incredible and, and incredibly blessed to have them. Uh, and you know, they, they, uh, they manage and run those businesses for me. So yep. they don't have a stakes in those businesses, just, mm. just myself and my business partner in those businesses. Um, but they're just incredible people that, that do, an, do a fantastic job. You, know, you essentially built up your income stream. That would be part of your income stream. Yes. Yep. To pay. I have clients who try to invest into franchises and get franchises started up, have someone else run it for them, and they just sort of sit back. And this is almost yep. a bit different where just the, the wheels keep turning. Yep. Same thing. When you know yep. what you're doing, you can do it much faster. So yep. it took me you know, until nine years ago to be able to do it the first time. Mm-hmm. And then very quickly with another business, I did it in, in a 12-month period. So, you know, because once you've got the skill set, you know what you're doing, you're, it's a, you're a different version of yourself and you can actually get in there and, and, and help. Go, and, and you can pick if you want the right people, the right team or, or yep. right, um, people that you're going to invest in, become partners with. Um, you, you get better at picking that too. So a lot of business owners, as you said, are dictators, like you, control freaks. You know, you built it up to a certain point. You took control of everything. But outsourcing is one of the biggest values anyone can have. And actually, when you're not good at something, go and ask someone else for help. I'm a big one of asking for help. Absolutely. And I wasn't. I wasn't. I didn't ask you. I did all myself. So (laughs) what about now? So what changed was I realized that, and and, my, uh, my dad had a saying that he said, and he said, mate, you've got, you're better off doing it yourself because you'll do it better and it'll be cheaper. Right? Yep. And that was, his, uh, that was his frame. You know, he was born baby boomers here in, in the 1940s, early 1940s. And so, so that was what he grew up with. And I knew that, I know that intention was intention to serve me yep. and help me on my journey. But then kind of in my mid-30s, I'm like, this doing it yourself stuff really sucks. <laughs> and, and I really realised... Especially that, as you get busier. Oh, absolutely. And it's oh. like, there's no more than, once you work in 80 hours a week or more, you can't really work more, right? Yep. You just can't. And it started to get to that point where it's like, well, and even with 44 people, people, I was still working 80 hours a week. And what I wasn't doing is I wasn't delegating responsibilities. I was delegating tasks. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't, as you say, whether it's outsourcing or delegating to a team member or you know, delegating via outsourcing to someone, you know, affiliate in the Philippines or a contractor or you know, whatever it is, doesn't, doesn't matter. But what I, what I ultimately realized, and, and one of the mentors that I had, and I've had mentors consistently for the last 15 years um, and different ones as I've, I've developed and outgrown um, certain, certain mentors and found new ones. Um, one thing that they said to me is said, um, how much of your time is spent on stuff that's worth a thousand dollars an hour? And I first was like, my time's not worth a thousand dollars an hour. And they go, you're right. It's not at the moment, Yeah, but it should be mm-hmm. because if you spent time on the strategic stuff, your business was, in that, in that stage, your business was doing $7.5 million a year. My hourly rate was vastly more than $1,000 an hour, but he used it as a lower number to not scare me off. Yep. If your business is doing, if you want a, a business that is doing $2 million a year in revenue, for you as the owner and you as the creator, that's, a, that's $1,000 an hour. You know, if you look at it in a, in, a, in a work week, right? Mm-hmm. That's what your value to the business is. 
So what I realized that me responding to those emails or, you know, doing those things that were $25 an hour things was costing me $975 an hour. And he said to me, he said, okay, if you're bookkeeping, okay, I'll do your bookkeeping for you. How many hours would you get back a week? And I said, oh, probably three to four. He goes, I'll charge you $1,000 an hour. And I'm like, no freaking way. He goes, well, then why are you doing it for $1,000 an hour? Oh, like, okay. <laughs> I outsourced for $50 an hour to a yep. high-level bookkeeper and I got four hours back, right? And one of the things about compounding, I got four hours a week back. So one of my favorite sayings is 10 minutes a day saved is one business week a year, right? Now, most business owners that I work with are so ineffective and inefficient that by bringing in uh, new skill sets and new ways of approaching things and working on what's important, they can get any between one and four hours a day back. That's mm-hmm. six to 24 weeks a year that they're getting back. Now, if someone says, I can't go on a holiday, I don't have time, that's rubbish. Everyone has the same amount of time. You're just using it really poorly. You need to stop doing the 25 to $50 an hour stuff and focus on the $1,000 an hour stuff because mm-hmm. that is your value to the business as the creator. You're the, and, and that creator, that leader of the business needs space to stop because if you've ever noticed that when you're in the shower or just about to go to sleep or going for a run or exercising or something, some of your best ideas come out then, right? Because you're actually slowing your brain down and your subconscious yeah. can actually throw forward the ideas that are there. But if you're always busy and noisy, you're never going to hear that. And as a leader and as the creator, if, if you're running the journey on your own and you're not consulting with other people like mentors, then you don't know how to change your own direction because you always just put yourself in your own way. So how important do you see these mentors have been on your journey? And should people have mentors? I know I've got some myself um, in all different facets of my life. But so how, how do you value mentors? Obviously pretty highly. Absolutely. Um, I would not be doing what I'm doing, which is you know, living my actual purpose and passion. You know, it's a, I find it hard to switch off from what I do because I love it so much. It's helping people succeed. It's building relationships. It's working with people and uh, meeting people and, and seeing those light bulbs go off in their head. You know? and, and so for me, if I didn't have, and I sought out mentors fairly early, um, even though I might not have been able to apply it because there were some really deep-seated old stories and stuff running there and I eventually did take on board what they'd said to me and, 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 and moved through that and really realised that some of those mentors were people that I learnt what not to do, not what to do, right, mm-hmm. based on their behaviour, based on how they, they would lead with an iron fist and they're like, huh, I'm not sure if I actually want to do that. That doesn't feel right. Yep. For me, I, I, you know, my definition of leadership is humble, authentic and vulnerable. That's how I lead. Mm-hmm. Whereas some of my previous mentors probably would have laughed at that because they were like, you know, Thor with a big hammer and smash people with it just to get them into submission. And so you've got, you've got to look at it and say, well, at, at different points, I've, 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 as for 15 years straight, there was, I think, 12 months there where I kind of stepped back from it and I went backwards. I didn't just stop. I actually went backwards. I, I reverted to some of my old patterns. Mm-hmm. And I realised that I, went, I, need to, I need to find somebody else again. And then I, so I did. I found other people. And at the moment, I still have mentors. They're peers in my industry that I, that I have formed relationships with and I work with very closely that actually give me a sounding board, uh, that give me guidance that, that, that when I'm feeling a bit flat or a bit stressed out about what's going on, you know, they, I can actually have a, 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 a trusted um, a shoulder to lean on you know, and mm-hmm. sort of go, well, look, I'm really concerned about this and blah, 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 and get a different perspective because you don't know what you don't know. Right? But someone looking in can go, hey, do you realise there's a log there that you keep tripping over? Oh, I've never seen that before. How about we move it so you don't trip over it again? You know, and if that log could be a story or a belief or something you're doing 
day to day that's actually blocking you from success. Because if success was how to, all we'd need to do is Google it, jump, or jump on YouTube and Wikipedia. All the answers are there. They're all free. We get it. Yeah. And we'd all be worth a billion dollars each. <laughs> we don't. Because this stuff is what's stopping us, right? Our baggage that we're carrying around. And what a mentor should do is a mentor shouldn't be teaching. There's a difference between a mentor and a coach, okay? Yep. And, and I, I don't call myself a coach for a reason. A coach is somebody who, who I see that has generally learnt it through, um, uh, through, through um, academic methods. So they've learnt something and now they're teaching it. Whereas a mentor is somebody who's gone in those trenches, who's fought off crocodiles, who's slashed their way through the jungle. Done it themselves. Now they're taking you through, right? They're yep. taking you with, with them to say, hey, watch out, the piranhas there. This is how you deal with them and, yep. uh, and giving you some tips. Now you still may stuff up and get bitten a few times, but yep. at least it's not going to chew all the meat off your bones, you know, and like it, w- w- like it did with me in the early days because I didn't actually ask for any support. So mentorship is incredibly you, you, important. I agree 100%. You're only really learning life as well when you do it yourself. Yep. Or when someone's gone through it, through it on their own and then you go, oh, sh- all right, I can learn from that as well. But yep. let's, if we relate that back to buying businesses or buying into businesses, um, in your view, when you buy into a business and buy into a culture and tell me about your experiences, um, is it better to take over a business slowly and gradually or, or do you see people coming in and snapping up an entire business and running it through their machine? Both. Absolutely both. It'll both works both ways, yeah. It'll depend on the on the people. Yep. Uh, an example is is my accountant, uh, my accountants Gary and Jenny. Um, uh, they ended up becoming so we're now mutual clients of each other's. They ended up joining my inner circle uh, mastermind group as well because the reason I chose them as accountants, even though they're only in their um, you know, late twenties, um, mm. is because they're the biggest accounting nerds that I've ever met. Right? <laughs> I'm like, I want you on my team because you're excited about finding this deduction or this yeah. thing. You know, and, and just really hungry for accounting. Whereas uh-huh. my last accountant was in his late 60s and uh, we'd had him for like 12 years. Um, and so it got a bit stale, you know, in that sense. So, I mean, he, he'd had a health challenge, so we needed to move accountants anyway. But when I found Gary and Jenny, uh, primarily Gary is who I deal with, um, he, they joined my group just over a year ago. And his goal was like, I want to I I grow a business from this to this and blah, blah, blah. And I said, and we're going through the process. I said, why don't you just buy another accounting practice? I said, there's plenty of older accountants looking to retire. It's like, really? We could do that? I'm like, yeah. And, and, don't, and use their money. It's yep. like, what do you mean? So get them to vendor finance it. Because oh, they're not going to do that. Anyway, so in, uh, in, in, where are we now? In September? No, it was in um, February this year. It was February this year. I'm just trying to think when he settled. It's around February this year. They actually settled on that business. And um, they, uh, they only put 30% deposit down of their own money mm-hmm. and 70% was vendor finance. So, so sorry, part of it was uh, 20% was um, um, funded from a lender and 50% was vendor financed. Mm-hmm. And that vendor finance is based on the business hitting certain milestones. Otherwise, they have to pay less for the business, right? Yeah, because it doesn't hit the milestones. Mm-hmm. And they came in and they, within the first two months, moved them all across from still sending physical paper tax returns out to all of their hundred thousand couple thousand clients and all sort of stuff to using a digital you know document signing system and within two months switch that business around and the business is much more effective much more efficient yep. actually be able to remove one team member which yep. means that it's more profitable now mm-hmm. haven't lost any clients yet they've still got the owners involved on a lesser level for the first 12 months to do handover of relationship but what it's allowed them to do is and the culture is not 
perfectly matched to their culture. But the individuals in the business, nine out of 10 of the, the or 90% of the, the people in that team would be a cultural fit. And so that's what they saw about the team when all oh, these guys have got potential. So they've brought the team across, but they already know they've got robust systems. Things, even if they lost a few of the team, they've got enough ability to, to pick it up. So that's effectively, that's dub, more than doubled their revenue as a, as a, as a business. And um, once the, those, you know, those, uh, the buying the business is paid off, it's almost tripled their profit because of their economies of scale. They've been able to move into one location, not two, remove you know, one of these other people and stuff. So having that ability to um, take over a business, maintain the owners there for a time so that you can get out of their head, you know, particularly mm-hmm. if they're old school, get it out of their head. How do we get it out of your head? You know, and capture it so that when they walk off, you've got a, still got a strong business after that. So that's, that's one of the ways to do it. Um, the other way is, as you'll see, larger businesses do this. They'll take a small stake in something that they're looking to buy into. You know, I know that, um, uh, what's it called? Um, I'm just trying to remember that the, the NAB-owned company that ended up buying three of the mortgage broking that bought Plan, Fast and uh, Choice, the, the three mortgage broking aggregators. Mm-hmm. Um, I just can't remember the, the name of this case. Not, not the point, but they bought one of them outright. But then they, the other two, they bought a 15% stake first to see how those businesses were tracking. Mm-hmm. But then they had an option to then increase that equity holding, which they ultimately then increased to 100%. Mm-hmm. So they staged it. So in small business, we can do the same, play the same game as big business. There's no restriction on that. Um, and Or you may just literally buy the business, the owner walks off, which is called the walk-in, walk-out. Yep. You walk in, they walk out, and you just keep going. And particularly for businesses that are running very poorly, but you can see very quickly how to improve the profitability and if it's if it's a competing business with yours, you could potentially just buy it like I did with um, ten uh, mortgage trail books. We rolled up ten other mortgage trail books into our business. Yep. All I needed to do in total was add four hours to one of my team's time to mm. manage those books, and that was it. You know, and yeah, you had the wheel. Everything was there. Yeah, and and because that's a recurring revenue stream, there's not you don't have equipment. We didn't have team other than the one managing it. We had all that automated systems and stuff and phone, just they do a phone call twice a year. Um, and it was a great, uh, great to buy that. And we didn't want anything to do with the owner after that. It was just like we bought them and, you know, we had yep. obviously certain milestones that it had to maintain. Yep. Again, we vendor finance part or all of it so that we minimized our risk that we bought a dud, you know, as well. So yeah, the stage, the stage approach is interesting as well because, you know, to understand if you actually fit the culture, of what you're buying into. Um, you get to slowly implement yourself, sit down with everyone, see how it actually runs and consider, do I want to own this entire thing or, or a majority of this thing right here? And that's, uh, we're talking about, you know, acquiring ultimately, whether it's a bit or all of it. If you're just investing and it depends on your skill set. you know, if you're coming along, are you just money to that business owner mm. or are you smart money? Are you actually someone who's coming along with skill sets, with knowledge, with experience that you can now mentor them and they now become a vastly better uh, business person. And therefore, the return on your investment is going to be substantially higher as well mm-hmm. because you're actually helping to mentor. That's what I do. I, I, I combine my desire to mentor great people with my investments because then I've got some control over it. That if I just invested in the share market or you know, invested in yep. something over here and then let it sit there, I've got zero control. Yep. I have a lot more control if I invest in a, in a small business yep. where I'm working with someone who's a great individual, I can help them mature and grow as well. 
hands-on ability to grow your own money and to grow your own wealth. Yep. I love it. So let's, so let's say pe- other people out there that are listening to this, they want to buy into small businesses. They want to be able to use their expertise to help grow another small business. What traits do you think they should possess or what is their investor type? Well, it's a, it's, I think it's a fairly specific one. I mean, you've got to be someone who wants to get your hands dirty a bit. You know, I'm not talking about getting there and do the operational stuff or laying bricks or painting a house. I mean, the you know, you, you want to get involved on a on a kind of that leadership level to start with. And, and I guess it's it's you've got to be willing to put a bit of yourself in there. If you're going to invest in a small business and it's literally just the money, I think you're at a very very high risk. Um, yep. It's going to be much much higher than if you're actually investing the money and putting some time in to be part of the advisory board and actually meet regularly and consistently mm-hmm. and, and follow the numbers and yep. maybe you stage your investment so as to minimise the risk. You could stage it you know, over, over six months or over 12 months or over two years that you gradually invest you know, more capital into that business as you see how they apply it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not just putting it all in there and it gets flushed down the toilet because... You know, obviously, Warren Buffett's uh, you know saying is the uh, the two rules. Rule number one: always preserve capital. Rule number two: always refer to rule number one. Yeah. So if you lose, if you lose that, you say put two hundred grand into a business, and that business goes down, you're not going to make. You got to then go and make that two hundred grand from somewhere else again to be yeah. able to re- recover it. And yep. and that's the thing you you, you want to know that it's being looked after. Yep. So you need to be able to dedicate time. You need to have be a value add. And I know yep. that we just we just um acquired 30% of a business that we can strategically add some value to in terms of revenue streams. Mm-hmm. Um, so we believe, but we're working on that at least catching up once a month as well as, you know, more internal catch ups. We've got the finance department as well as the a way to grow the revenue. Um, so well, we've got time, we've got expertise um, as well. Don't expect to earn an income from this ASAP. Maybe one day you might earn an income from it. Yeah, um, if, you, if you do need to earn income, be careful making that decision. Yeah, because it'll turn to pain, right? This type of thing, being an investor is just that. It's an investor. You might sit on an advisory board to manage your investment, but mm-hmm. it shouldn't require too much more of your time. If it does, it's going to take you away from whatever your primary income-producing activity is, so whatever your career is or whatever business you've got. And so that small opportunity um, is actually really a distraction. You know, I think yep. opportunity is a swear word unless proven otherwise that it's probably just a shiny object because you're a bit bored with what you're doing. So you yep. start putting all this time in here and maybe generate $10,000 a year in value, but it's actually cost you $100,000 in value in your primary business that you would have been better off spending the time in anyway. So be careful it doesn't start to detract from your primary business or your primary activity. But do you feel a person that buys into private businesses, they've got to be a good delegator, delegator and they've got to be willing to let go of the reins and let someone else run with the business? Absolutely. Like, like you've done with all your investments. You know, people are... People are um, running the business themselves. You're yeah. sitting on the back providing an advisory, uh, having an advisory seat. The Hawaiian company or the guy who moved to Hawaii, that business, while you provided the advisory seat, it's gone bust. Yep. So it is still a risky kind of investment. It is, yeah. Yep. I mean, it hadn't been up until 12 months ago. For the first six years, it had been growing, the profit had yep. been increasing, you know, I've been getting a, a slightly larger dividend each year. Um, because it had gone longer, it had taken longer, I was also on a contracting arrangement so i was being paid for my my input as well Mm -hmm, uh, because mm -hmm. it had taken longer to grow but we'd gone a different pathway to get there um and uh yeah it it really you've got to be able to willing to adapt but also be willing to jump out to get out and cut your losses don't spend any more time than you have to which is what i've just done with this other business i've gone you know what i'm not spending any more time on this because 
it's costing me too much in where I can where I can put my time into yep. people who do want to learn and grow and listen. There's nothing worse being a mentor or a consultant or whatever. And you, you keep saying things to people and they're like, yep, yep, yep. And then they just go away and don't do it, you know? And it's just so frustrating. I, I don't have time to work with people like that anymore. Yep. It's, it's just not worth it. I'd rather work with people who go, yep, yep. And they go and apply it and they go, wow, I did that thing and this happened. It was amazing. You know, and <laughs> that's the satisfying for me. That's where I get my soul food. You know, it fills my cup. Yeah, beautiful. So, Sean, um, it's been an amazing conversation, mate. We should leave it there um, before we keep going. We could talk all day. Let's say people want to reach out to you. What's the best way for someone to get in contact with you? Uh, well, uh, any, any you see my, you know, my little, on this side, whichever side it is, this side, the camera's the other way around. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got a camera. Thing. We're the at side. one We're way the and the other one's the other way. So yeah. you can see just at Sean Sewell, uh, just Facebook, uh, you know, Instagram, you can email me. It's sean at seansool.com, however you like. Um, you can find me. Just Google me. There's any other one, one other Sean Sewell in Australia. So I think you'll, you'll find me pretty quickly. Um, and uh, so feel free to reach out if you need some support. Uh, you know, follow my, follow my social. Uh, I put out uh, content about business, about, you know, growing as a leader and all sort of stuff. So if you're in business or looking for tips around that, then that, that I put that content out all the time to provide uh, more value and help more people succeed because that, that really is my purpose and what I do. So I hope that, and I hope today's discussion helps people get a bit of clarity around, you know, investing in small businesses, what can happen, you know, the, the pitfalls, the benefits, the, you know, ups and downs and, and all that sort of stuff that comes with it. That's it. So guys, I hope you've, I hope you've all learned something and I know, I know you would have. So if you're investing into small businesses, be willing to dedicate your time, your energy, um, your expertise and focus on the long term, try and build an exit strategy. Sean, thank you so much for this. If you're out there and you've got any questions about what we're doing, feel free to leave a comment on here. Or feel free to contact me, Stefan Angelini at Angel Advisory or Stefan at angeladvisory.com.au. Um, look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Thanks again. Thanks, Stefan. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Investor Types podcast. What I want to remind you is that everything you heard in this podcast is general advice only. Please don't consider it as personal advice. If you do want to consider, consider it as being personal advice, please go and speak to your licensed financial planner. Everything here is just informational purposes only. Take it as you will. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks again for tuning in. See you soon.